And welcome to the Four Point Plan Podcast. My name is J.R. Roberts. I'm a drug counselor in Los Angeles, California. I'm here to tell you about the Four Point Plan, and I am joined as ever by my faithful co-host, Kevin. What's up? Hey, I'm excited about talking about the Four Point Plan today. As always, uh, we have delved into who we are and what we do. Uh, as I said, I'm a drug counselor. I used to sponsor Kevin for about five or six years, and together we have learned about the secret way to get clean and sober and stay clean and sober, and it's all hidden in the four-point plan. Don't get the wrong idea. This isn't anything uh, original. We didn't come up with this out of the blue. We were taught this. We learned this. We practiced this. And we saw it happen to make changes in our own lives. Uh, I now have a life way beyond anything I ever dreamed possible. And uh, I've watched the changes in my buddy. And I've watched it in in several people. I actually Friday night went out to a uh, AA meeting and gave a cake to a patient who just celebrated one year sober. So exciting stuff. It's awesome to watch people change. And the biggest thing is to watch them survive. Uh, We're dealing with a deadly illness called drug addiction and alcoholism. And we've seen way too many beautiful people die from this disease, opioid epidemic in our country where, um, what's the number? It was 15 People a day were dying 11 years ago, and now it's 150 people a day. It's insane. The numbers are insane. 150 people dying every day of this disease, and we actually know a way to survive this disease, and it's a very simple plan stated in four pieces, and uh, unfortunately not everyone gets it. Uh, I like to say that it's not for the people who want it, And it's not for the people who need it. It's only for the people who do it. So if you do the four-point plan, your chances of survival raise immensely. And we've seen people do it temporarily, which it's always the heartbreaking story when you hear that someone has passed away from this disease and you read about the times that they were trying to get sober and when they were practicing the pieces of the four-point plan, the stuff that, that stands out in their, in their goodbye letters or their obituaries or the testimonials from their family and friends. They say, oh, but he was doing so good for a while. He was working with a sponsor and he was attending meetings and that was the best time of his life. But then he relapsed and died. Uh, relapse is a horrific part of this disease and it is not required. It's not necessary. And if you continue to practice the four-point plan, it's not going to happen to you. At least that's been my experience. Well, shit. I've been telling people this is your idea. <laughs> <laughs> we stole this. We stole this from A and NA and from our predecessors and from our sponsors. They, they taught us how to stay clean and sober, and, and we teach each other how to stay clean and sober. And it's, it's the four-point plan. It's not something you're going to hear about usually in an NA meeting, at least not titled the four-point plan. You will hear someone sit there and say, you should go to 90 meetings in 90 days. And then someone else might say, oh, I love my sponsor. If you don't have a sponsor, you need to get a sponsor. And then someone else will say, hey, this is my home group. I'm so proud to be here at my home group. If I miss my home group, people will call me and let me know. And then last but not least, there's 
service level commitments and you go to a meeting and you see people uh, making coffee or, or setting up the literature table or, or putting out chairs or greeting you at the door, these are all service commitments. Uh, you will hear people and see people uh, actively working the four-point plan without even knowing it, but those are also the people that are actively staying sober and staying clean and, and living lives beyond their wildest dreams. It's pretty incredible. Man, hey, speaking of beyond the... talked about meeting attendance, about the 90 and 90. Yes. Do you know what we're going to talk about this week? Probably about a home group. No, no, that's number three. We're going to talk about sponsors. I'm so oh. excited about talking about sponsors. I don't think anything could be better than talking about sponsors. I love my sponsor. I want, I want to talk about his name is Bob. I want to talk about Bob a lot because I love that guy. Yeah, there's an anonymous program. I'm not going to tell you Bob's last name, but every person that you meet named Bob could possibly be my sponsor, and Bob is awesome. I love Bob. Uh, I hope he hears the podcast. Uh, we should uh, be up and running and available on our website this week. So uh, Kevin is the brains of the operation. He's been vigorously working late nights trying to make this happen. And as soon as it's available, you will know. And, well, you'll be listening to this. So obviously you have found us. Kev, how close are we? Uh, we're close. I, I have the web server all spun up. You're working on the uh, the site, and uh, we're just doing a domain transfer so I can point DNS to RIP, and then we're done. You know, I, I am going to design the website. I tell you what, you know, back when I was uh, doing heroin and cocaine, uh, I didn't design any websites. But in the last 11 years of being clean and sober, I have designed several websites, and I'm hoping that this will be the best one yet. Uh, I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm just, I get excited about the four-point plan. This thing is amazing. Let me run it down for you again one time, uh, maybe several times. Uh, number one, 90 meetings in 90 days. You got to go to meetings, man. You can only get this thing if you're in meetings. You can't sit at home alone, isolated, and think, oh, I'm going to stay sober because you have disease that lives in your brain. Your brain is out to kill you. If you sit at home and you're not listening to people in meetings telling you how to stay clean, instead you're just listening to that disease living in your brain telling you, oh, it'll be okay. Oh, just one more. Oh, no one will never know. And these are the kind of thoughts that run through the people that go out and relapse and then they die. We don't want you to die, so we're going to tell you about the four-point plan over and over again. So, to begin with, 90 meetings in 90 days. Number two, get a sponsor and work with that sponsor. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Sponsors are awesome. Number three, get a home group. Find a place where you fit in, where people love you, where they expect to see you. They want to see you. When you walk in the door, people's faces light up and they get smiles because they are happy that you are there. And last but not least, uh, get a commitment. Service commitments are very important. Commitments will keep you clean. Kevin and I are both service junkies. We both love giving back to the program that saved our lives. And you will see us. If you go to a meeting and we're there, we're probably doing something to make that meeting happen. Because we believe in it. We practiced it. We've experienced experienced it we know it. not willing to give it up man i have a life so much better than i ever had before i refuse to give it up i love the way i live today i love wrestling and and helping people and, and traveling and everything that has come along with this whole recovery thing 
has been beautiful. Everything good in my life is a direct result of getting clean and staying clean. So uh, four-point plan, it works, man. Hey, Kevin, uh, I used to sponsor you. I don't sponsor you anymore um, because I left for AA, and he felt like I was, I was going someplace that he couldn't follow. So he grabbed a hold of another sponsor in NA, and uh, it's, it happens to be one of my closest friends in the world. So uh, talk about uh, your experience with sponsorship, your, your new sponsor, your old sponsor, your original sponsor. Um, what's that like? Is it a good idea to change sponsors? Just, uh, just kind of... Yeah, so uh, let's see. I, I initially found you at a noon meeting, and I think we kind of hinted at this a little bit last week. Um, I was uh, I was a bouncer at a hookah bar, so I was going to like a, they had a noon meeting every day at this place in the valley. Um, so you know, I worked nights, and uh, it was easier for me to get to the noon meetings. Um, so you were sitting in one of them, and I remember you stood up and you said something along the lines of, "I just lost my job and my car, and my life's fucking awesome." And uh, and I remember being really attracted to that um, because. I was so in fear that 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 was like almost unfathomable, unfathomable to me uh, to to like lose my job, not have a car, you know, not maybe losing my place to live or or whatever and being OK with that. Like I, I didn't know how to do that, but I really, really wanted it. And, you know, that, that you know, I joke that it's the black flag tattoo on the back of your neck that uh, is the reason I picked you to be my sponsor. But really, it's it was the, you know, the, the amount of faith that, that, that I saw that day. And I, I didn't know it was faith at the time. Uh, I thought it was a lack of fear. That's kind of how you sold it to me. Turns out it was actually faith. And it you know it took me a while to learn that. Um, but, yeah, that's that's how I picked my first sponsor. Um, I've had a or actually you weren't my first. You were the first sponsor I worked a step with. Um, my first sponsor, I just picked the first guy in the room. Uh, it was this dude named Carlos. Um, I was in treatment. They told me I had to get a sponsor, so I did. And, uh, you know, I, I worked, like, I think one through three with him, what, you know, during the six months that I was in treatment. And I got out of treatment, and everybody was like, you got to go to a meeting today, and you got to call your sponsor today. Like, okay, cool. So, I, you know, I got out of treatment, and I left, and I got to the sober living. First thing I did, call my sponsor, and he changed his number. <laughs> oh, man. So, at, you know, at that point, I didn't have a sponsor anymore. So I, I went to a meeting that night, and um, and uh, I, I don't think I found another one for, for a while. This guy, this tech and treatment sponsored me for like a day or two, maybe a little bit longer than that. We didn't actually work any steps. Uh, I was living in the valley and going to this meeting in the San Gabriel Valley where I'm from. And uh, I met this guy who lived in Orange County who had a couple years clean at the time. And uh, he sponsored me for a little bit. Uh, he made me read the uh, uh, the first three chapters of the basic text from the symbol all the way up through to chapter four uh, ten times. And I got through it, honestly, probably about six. And then, uh, and then uh, I decided I didn't want that guy to sponsor me. Um, people who aren't from Southern California, you should understand that Kevin was serious about his recovery. If he had his first sponsor, uh, once he came over here to the Valley, his sponsors in San Gabriel, that is an hour's drive. And the second, uh, the guy there lived in Orange County and from the Valley, Orange County is quite often a two hour drive. So it's amazing that you were picking a sponsor that was so far away. It was better because we like five minutes apart. Right. And, you know, that that's definitely easier. Um, I think 
So I was going to that meeting because when I first started trying to get clean in like, I don't know, 2006, um, I, I found that meeting. I, you know, I'd gotten arrested. They put me on this program. I think it was PC 1000 at the time. And they told me I had to go to these, these, uh, classes. And, um, and I found, you know, I found this NA meeting on a Saturday night. It, it's a Saturday, Saturday night special in Covina. I think it's still there. It, it's at a new, it's at a different place. It used to be on a uh, Hall and Beck and, um, and Covina Boulevard at that Lutheran church, but it's somewhere else now. Um, and I picked up a commitment there. I was a recorder because they do a speaker every other week. And, uh, and somebody need, and then they record them onto a CD. If you guys don't know what CDs are, that's, that used to be how we played music. Um, uh, and, uh, this is my train of thought cause I think I'm too funny. <laughs> I used to have a, a speaker CD from a convention I spoke at and I can't find it, but if I did find it, I would have no way to listen to it because I don't have a CD. <laughs> Dude, I, I have stacks from that meeting because, you know, I was new. They would just hand them to me. So I, I've got, like, I don't know, maybe a hundred of them. And, I, yeah, I, I don't have a CD player. <laughs> well, actually, you know what? There, there is one in my Jeep. Um, nice. And I, I got one on my computer. I could rip them. I could make them digital. And, and actually, some of them are pretty good. I should probably do that. I don't know what, like, copyright is on them or anything like that. But anyway, so when I got clean this time around, I started going back to that meeting because I want really because I wanted to go back and say, hey, guys, look at me. I finally got six months because that was fucking impossible for me in 2006. Like I, I was just not able to do that. Um, so I was really going back just kind of to show off, but also because it was familiar. Um, so we you know, we meet up at that Saturday meeting every week. So, you know, it wasn't that far. So oh, should I talk you about you now. You moved to the valley. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was living in the valley at that time, and um, I had gotten in this relationship. Uh, I had about a year clean. I like to say that I follow suggestion, but really, I just couldn't get laid. It took about a year to to wash the stink off. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I'm dating this girl, and and she's great, and everything's great, except I'm fucking miserable, in, you know, in the relationship. And I just I couldn't figure it out. And I'm like asking people at meetings because you know I'd like I'd, by this point I had probably close to 18 months, and you know maybe 13 or 14 months. And, um, you know, I'm asking everybody, like, what do I do? They're like, dude, you got to work the steps. You know, do you have a sponsor? What, what are you doing? You've got over your clean. What's going on? And um, and finally, you know, a little while later, like 15 months or something like that, it finally clicked. And I started looking for a sponsor. And that's when I met JR. And I asked him to sponsor me. And he said, no, I don't do that. So I, uh, I got his number anyway. And I kept calling <laughs> him. And then he sponsored me for five years. Um, and... We worked the steps um, one and a half times, and then JR left for another fellowship, and I changed sponsors. It's funny because in my cell phone, I just checked, uh, you are still listed as Kevin Possible Sponsee. <laughs> I remember <laughs> Almost... it was the time. It, it was that day. It was the day that I uh, had had quit my job, and... Um, I didn't think that I would probably make a good sponsor for anyway because I didn't have a job. Usually one of the things we say when you're picking out your sponsor is choose someone that has something that you want. And I thought, well, nobody could want what I have because I am unemployed. And I only stayed unemployed for maybe a day or two. But still, it, uh, it, was, a, it was funny, though. I remember that day very clearly because I, I had uh, – I'd been working in management at a, at a treatment center and I had never been a manager before and I wasn't really that good at it. I was learning. I, 
probably would do a better job today. But at the time, um, I was fully dedicated. I worked really hard. I would get up super early. I would work off the clock. I was available 24 hours a day to do my job. And the stress was was high. And I had gotten this problem while I was working there where I had an eyelid flutter. No other way to explain it except maybe a spasm in my eyelid. And I didn't understand why because I was uh, I was healthy, I was eating right, I was exercising, and I was going to bed on time. So I go to the doctor at the treatment center and I, I tell her about this. And she says, oh, well, it sounds like you're not getting enough sleep. And I explain to her, no, I'm actually I'm in bed at 9.30 and I'm up at 5 and I'm getting seven and a half to eight hours sleep. So I don't think that that is it. And she said, well, the only other explanation could be stress. And it was happening regularly, probably on a daily basis, where my eyelid would flutter and I would, I would get bothered by it. Like, what the hell is that? Why won't it stop? And the day at my job that I got fed up, uh, I was in school to be a counselor. I was, I was working as an operations manager, uh, managing the techs. And I went into the meeting of the counselors, you know, and I'm aspiring to be a counselor myself at that time. And the boss is sitting there and I had brought in the new counselors and I had introduced them and I had explained all the rules and everything. And he yelled at me in front of the whole counseling staff, told me that I did something wrong and that he would talk to me later. It was a big, scary, intimidating dude. I and uh, I walked out and handed my keys to a member of the staff and, and I left and I drove straight home and I pulled into the driveway of my house and as soon as I turned I put the car in park and turned the key off the eyelid flutter went away I felt it like something washed over me and the the twitch was gone and I knew it was stress at that point I knew oh that was that job was driving me insane so uh that same day i went to the hole in the sky the noon meeting and i shared that i had quit my job and i was so happy that i had because like i said i felt like this cleansing had occurred in me uh, to take all that stress away and i was genuinely happy I wasn't uh super proud or stoked of the fact that i was unemployed but i was really happy that my eyelid had stopped fluttering and so i, I talked talked about how happy I was, and that's when Kevin came up and, and asked me if I would sponsor him, and I said, well, no, I don't sponsor people, but uh, I'll give you my phone number, and he gave me his phone number, and so I told Kevin, I will not sponsor you, and Kevin said, okay, and then he called me every day, like every day without fail, you know, like someone I was sponsoring would do, <laughs> I was trapped. There was no escaping it. I had to sponsor him, and uh, and I loved it. It was the best uh, best thing ever happened. Uh, Kevin is the only sponsor I've ever taken through all twelve steps, and the time that we worked together was phenomenal. The lessons that we learned from each other, uh, I think about every day. Um, I work with a lot of newcomers uh, at my job, and. They're always filled with fear. And Kevin was the kind of guy that he was he was still early in recovery, hadn't worked the steps and and spent a lot of time filled with fear. 
And I used to just share with him the kind of advice that my sponsor gave me. Like, you can do whatever you want to as long as you're willing to live with the consequences. And you're I right hated where you're... that so much. <laughs> <laughs> but it was true. You, we hate these things when we hear them, but they come from people with the experience that they already know that it's true. And Kevin is a workaholic, by the way. Those of you who haven't picked up on this yet, Kevin values prioritizes his job really high on his list of priorities and um <laughs> and work is so important to him that when he wrecked his motorcycle and he broke his legs the first phone call he made was to his job and even though his legs are still broken they have not yet done surgery to repair his legs he was laying in the hospital room with his boss on the phone saying, yeah, I, I might be able to make it in tomorrow. His legs were hanging off of his body, broken, and he's telling his boss, well, if I can, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to make it in. I don't you think I understood what was going on at that point. I, I was there, buddy. <laughs> you were loopy. And, and me, your girlfriend, and your parents were all laughing because you were on the phone saying, well, I'm going I'm to try to make it in. See how far I've come today. If I were to lose my job, I would be okay. Yeah. Well, that's uh, one of the secrets to recovery. It's called faith. So there's a lot written and a lot said about sponsorship. Uh, we, um, we have books and we have informational pamphlets that are written about it. And Basically, the definition that they offer you is that a sponsor is steps. And this is the truth. It's absolutely uh, the job description. You, you agree to sponsor somebody. You agree to take them through the steps. My experience has been it's a lot more than that. Um, I want to talk about how I met my sponsor because Bob is awesome, and I love that guy. He's... Uh, my best friend he I give him credit for helping to save my life so at the time when I was looking to get clean uh, I couldn't stop using drugs uh, anybody that knows my story knows that what happened was I continued uh, intravenously injecting speedballs which is a mixture of heroin and cocaine every day until my arms developed necrosis uh, when it was finally diagnosed by a doctor, it was called MRSA, which is a medically resistant staph infection. So basically, I had that the flesh was being eaten from my arms, and I still could not stop using drugs. But I knew I was desperate to stop using drugs, so I went to NA meetings. There was one NA meeting in particular that was very close to my house about a block away, and I used to walk over there, and I would sit through the meeting for about 45 minutes. Uh, the meeting ran from 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock, and my drug dealer stopped working at 8 o'clock. So I would sit in the meeting, and I would be uncomfortable, and I wanted to use, and people were talking about real-life situations that I didn't understand because I wasn't living real life. I was living drug-to-drug. Uh, -drug. I was living fix-to-fix. And so when people talked about getting a flat tire on their car or their dog getting sick, I had zero compassion. I just became angrier and angrier. And often at that meeting, I would stand up at 745. I would yell at them that nothing 
help me. And I was going to go call my drug dealer. And then I would stomp out of the room. Well, sometime, it had to have been 2007, I was at a meeting and I heard Bob share this story about someone had, uh, had dumped out a spoonful of heroin that he had, he had fixed up, but he hadn't drawn up into a syringe yet. They had dumped it in a toilet and flushed it and that he had grabbed them and stuck them underwater and he was considering drowning them. And this was someone that he loved, someone that was very close to him. And it's an insane story. And when you hear it and you hear the emotion in his voice, you know, this is frightening. This is real. When he tells the story, he says that this is the moment they knew that God had to be real because if God wasn't real, then he was doomed. When I heard that story, it spoke to me. I thought, hey, that's the kind of guy that could sponsor me because I think I am. And so I walked up to him at the end of the meeting and I said, hey, man, would you be willing to sponsor me? And Bob said, yeah. I said, cool. Um, I'm not ready to stop doing drugs yet, but when I am, I'll come back. So on June 24th of 2008, uh, my arm disease, my uh, MRSA had gotten really bad. I mean, super, super bad. Uh, my arms were, were leaking pus and blood at all times. I smelled toxic. I had gone to several doctors. The first doctor I went to said, uh, we're going to have to amputate your arms. And I was like, but uh, I'm using them. That's how I get high. So I continued going to different doctors and I went to my my suboxone doctor the doctor I went to the most when you're a heroin addict you have a suboxone doctor I went to him I showed him my arms and he said we can save your arms but we have to send you to a place called the wound care therapy clinic and it was like a regular physical therapy clinic it's a place where people go if they have a knee replacement or a hip replacement and they learn to walk again but I was their special patient and I got there at 7 a.m. every day they would fill up a whirlpool full of hot water and they would stick my arm in it. And for a half hour, it would soak and then they would pull it out. They'd put the other arm into the whirlpool. And then they'd lay the first arm on a surgical table and take a scalpel and slowly cut the necrotic tissue from my arms. They would carve the infection out of my arms with a little knife and when they were done they would pull the other arm out and they would do the same thing for another half hour and when they were finished they would lather up my arms with neosporin and wrap them in these big ass bandages and i would drive home now when i would arrive home i would immediately take off the big ass bandages and i would shoot up heroin and cocaine in the exact same spot because I could not stop using drugs. So by June 24, 2008, I am a mess. I am always sick. I always have a fever. None of the drugs are working anymore. It didn't matter if I just uh, subcutaneously or just barely under my skin injected cocaine to try to numb the areas. It didn't help. I was in constant pain. And I went back to the, the Wednesday night men's meeting that was by my house. And I sat down and I said a prayer. I said, please, God, let me hear something in this meeting that will help me stay clean. And during the meeting, um, I sat and listened and I saw that Bob was there. 
And at the end of the meeting, I walked up to Bob and I said, hey, man, you're... And he looked me in the eye and he said, yes, I remember you. I've been praying for you by name. I told my sponsor about you. I told my sponsor, if I could cut myself open and give you recovery, I would. And I remember thinking, well, that's weird. I just wanted to know if you remembered me. So um, I said, hey, man, I'm ready to get clean. What can I do? And he said, I want you to take my phone number, and I want you to call me in the morning, and I want you to read the Just for Today. The Just for Today is a daily meditation book in Narcotics Anonymous. It has a meditation for every day of the year. And I had a copy, and I said, all right, man, I will call you in the morning. And, um, and I did, and I continued to do that for a year and a half. I did it for a long, long time. So that's, uh, that's how me and Bob started working together. And uh, it's been a hell of a ride for 11 years, man. And I owe my life to that dude. Like his level of understanding and compassion with me has been unlike anything I've ever experienced before. And it's, um, it's humbling. It's, it's incredible. And I, uh, I hope that one day maybe we can have Bob on the uh, podcast. I think that'd be pretty cool. Uh, Bob and Kevin are friends. Um, at the time, Bob had a sponsor of his own named Murray, who was a delightful and beautiful little Jewish man who had survived World War II uh, in Poland and then eventually moved to the U.S. and got strung out on heroin and then got clean and, and started teaching us how, how to get clean and stay clean. So he taught Bob. Bob taught me. I taught Kevin. Kevin is teaching a gang of people uh, and probably because you know, said everyone that was successful, everyone that was staying clean and was happy and healthy talked about having a relationship with their sponsor. One of the things I heard over and over again is if you don't have the best sponsor in the program, then you need to get a new sponsor. And I do. I have the very best sponsor in the world. I, I love that guy, and I'm super uh, fortunate to have him. Yeah, and I mean, even if uh, even if you do have the best sponsor in, in the program, sometimes you need to switch anyway. <laughs> That's funny. I, I said for many years that JR is the best sponsor in all of NA, and then he left NA, so he can't he can't claim that title anymore. Well, it's not like I'm sponsoring people in AA. I'm still over there like a newcomer, wide-eyed. I've only been there for about seven months, and I'm amazed by all the stuff that happens there. Oh, I know. I'm embracing my bisexuality. I am cross-addicted. <laughs> I'm an Anna. Uh, I do not identify in meetings as an Anna, but sometimes you'll be at a meeting and someone say, I am an addict and an alcoholic. We call those the Annas. Um no, I, if I'm in an AA meeting, I'll identify as an addict. If I'm in an AA meeting, I'll identify as an alcoholic. And if I'm not thinking real hard about it, I'll accidentally do the opposite. I was at an AA meeting this week, and I, I identified as an addict. Um, but I am, uh, this Wednesday, leading a NA meeting, uh, the men's meeting that I just told those stories about. I am leading that meeting this Wednesday, so... Uh, you guys probably won't hear the podcast before then, so you probably won't be able to make it, but um, it's exciting. 
it's big news. I get to go back to the place that helped save my life and share hope. Uh, what else can we say about sponsorship? Um, I about switching sponsors. So there's a there's a woman in the program out here. When I first moved out, I'm in uh, Simi Valley now. And when I when I first moved to this area, there was a woman here who had a sponsor, and she was pretty new. Uh, she was here on a court card for a, like a, I think a domestic violence charge or something like that, and uh, she had a sponsor that she really wasn't happy with. She, you know, I'd see her at every single meeting, right? She, she did 90 meetings in 90, she did like 365 meetings in 365 days. Um, she, she went to a lot of meetings. So every meeting I went to, she was there. And, uh, every time I saw her, she would tell me, you know, I, I really want to work the steps, but you know, my sponsor's making me call her for 30 days. And, you know, I, I, um, I'm done with my first step, but she's not available. And, you know, it was just on and on and on and on. And, you know, the advice that I gave her was if you're not happy, then switch. And I don't know why. Well, actually, I, I do understand it because you know when I when I switched sponsors from Jr. to my current sponsor, uh, it was really hard for me to do because Jr. and I have such a close relationship that it felt like I was abandoning him, um, and that you know that that was really hard for me to get past. But you know, in her case, was you know she had sixty days or something. She'd had her sponsor for maybe a month. Like it, you know, if it's not the right sponsor for you, I think it's okay to switch. It's funny, when I left uh, Narcotics Anonymous to go to AA, Bob told me that he felt betrayed. Uh, he, what he heard was that I was leaving him, and that was never the case. He is, continues to be my sponsor, and we still work together. Um, it's just uh, the meetings, the, the meetings I prefer to go to, probably the meetings that are closest to my home that I attend uh, that are more comfortable, comfortable for me, our AA meetings, so all good. But I've done the sponsor change thing a couple times. It's always been temporary. Uh, Kevin has got a new sponsor that is awesome, and I'm jealous because I wish he was my sponsor sometimes, except I got Bob. And if I didn't have Bob, I'd have Kevin's sponsor. Yeah, he's all right, I guess. <laughs> He'll probably listen to this at some point. Um Maybe not get this deep into it. Who knows? Yeah. You'll hear my stories and be like, I already know these. Uh, so how did it, uh, how did you do it? Like, did you call him up and be like, hey, JR left for AA? Well, so, you know, he was one of the guys that when I didn't like what you were telling me, I would call him. And uh, so, so I mean, that, I was already in that habit, right? Like, you know, you would do something I didn't like or you – or not do, but you would say something I didn't like or give me some kind of advice I didn't like, and I would call him just to make sure that I had to do what you were telling me to do. Um, so I was already kind of in the habit of doing that. So, I, you know, I called him. I said, uh, you know, JR is switching fellowships, and I, I don't know what to do. I don't want to go to AA. I don't want to work AA steps. Uh, what do you suggest? And then he suggested I talk to you about it. And uh, I, I remember texting you. I don't remember the conversation exactly, but I remember not feeling great about it. And uh, eventually I called him and said, hey, I'm going to drop JR. Do you want to sponsor me? All right, let's clear the air because I remember when this happened and I remember being okay the entire time. Like I had uh, decided to do a 1990 and a lot of the NA meetings in my area I wasn't enjoying, and the AA meetings I found were incredible. The people were incredible. 
the fellowship, the warmth was awesome. So I was feeling really good with the decision I made for my recovery. And you were were texting me, but there was a tone in the texts that, and I don't want to read too much into it, but it felt like maybe you were feeling a little bit betrayed. Like, how could you abandon me over here and go over there? Uh, a couple times you joked where we had uh, bets or, or or negotiations where you were like, well, if this happens, then I'll go to AA. I remember that. Um, I, I think it was a combination. You know, I, I think I did feel a little betrayed, and I, and I was also worried about betraying you. You know, like I had mentioned earlier, like, you know, because I – I don't want to work in an AA program. I just, it's not where I feel comfortable. And actually, you know, when this all happened, I did go to some AA meetings because I, uh, I was renting one of my rooms to, to this guy and his girlfriend who were in AA. And I, I tagged along with them to a couple of meetings. And I remember being at one, and it's probably just the area that I'm in. Uh, I, it's kind of like a, a ritzy area where, where they go over in Thousand Oaks. Uh, there was this one meeting, this kid came in, man, and he was so, I don't know if he was high or drunk or what, but he was just out of it, man, and like screaming at people and trying to fight people, and I was like, man, I like this kid, and everyone else in the room was like, hey, somebody call the cops, I was like, oh, fuck this, <laughs> and I walked out, um, but yeah, I, I remember, and, and like I said, it's probably just, you know, the, the ritzy area that I'm in, uh, but I was that kid, right, I was starting fights with people, I was like bleeding on things, I was yelling at people, and People in NA loved me anyway. Uh, I, you know, I don't think anybody ever called the cops on me. Sometimes, you know, they, they threw me out of a meeting. Sometimes uh, uh, people would pull me aside and talk to me. Uh, sometimes people would threaten me. But nobody ever, like, called the cops and say, get this kid out of here. You know, they, they loved me no matter what in whatever way they could. And, and that's just, you know, part of the gratitude I have toward NA and why I didn't want to leave. And... And I felt like if you were going to go to another fellowship and work steps in another fellowship, I would have to then follow you and work steps in that fellowship because the way this works is we go through the steps the way that our sponsors do. So it, it was kind of a combination of I, you know, me feeling betrayed and me not wanting to betray you but feeling like I had to. And uh, it, I think that was the feeling. Yeah, and it turns out to not even be an issue because – uh, I still have my NA sponsor, and any step work I do will be straight from the NA step working guide. Uh, I'm not um, a big book thumper. I do uh, like the pieces of the big book that I've explored. Um, the guys that invented this whole thing in AA, which eventually evolved into NA, uh, were, were genius, and they understood our disease long before our medical community did. Um, so the program is fine, and it's great, but I still have an NA sponsor, and I still work NA steps. I don't get discriminated in AA because of it. Um, I did get corrected this week when I called myself an addict, but they're okay with it. Um, I do have the opportunity to help people over there. I'm not sponsoring people over there, which uh, is actually kind of important, and I'll get into that in just a second. Um, but... I think the biggest thing right here is that I love Kevin. I love you, buddy. Um, we have done so much work together. Uh, we've shared so much of our lives together. We've both uh, been um, growing and maturing, kind of growing up together in the program. And so uh, our friendship will never end. We'll never uh, just betray each other. Uh, it was weird. 
uh, when we stopped working together as sponsor and sponsee, but it worked out great. Uh, the sponsor that you have now is incredible. Um, so I may have mentioned this before. Uh, I am a student at Pepperdine. I am in the master's program for marriage and family therapy. I do a lot of scholarly work. I do research. I do, um, I write a lot of papers and in order to write a lot of papers, you have to reference a lot of source material that's in databases throughout the world. And so I was writing a paper about the program and I found this article that for whatever reason kind of addressed the four point plan. And what it did was it said that the, the importance of connection is established through meeting attendance, working with a sponsor, getting a sponsor, um, not working with a sponsor, getting a sponsor, uh, getting a home group, and getting service commitments. But then it followed it up with saying uh, step work was not considered as important or efficacious in the study and design other pieces and the other pieces really lent themselves more than anything uh, to connection and yes there's connection in step work but there's a lot of isolation in step work as well uh, so connection is the opposite of addiction uh, we learned that um, I learned that in a TED talk and uh, there's a doctor named Johan Hari hopefully you can all check out the TED talk by Johan Hari called the opposite of addiction uh, so I was reading in this that uh, step work not as essential uh, for the connection piece that keeps people sober. But what I also read is one of the most effective and efficacious, which is just effectiveness in studies, uh, pieces of sobriety is being a sponsor and sponsoring other people. And what they saw was very high success rates for people who sponsor other people. Uh, having a sponsor in their studies as actually sponsoring other people. And I guess that uh, kind of ties into the being of service, uh, get a commitment thing, because uh, getting a commitment to sponsor someone is a real serious deal, and you have to take it very seriously. And so if you're doing that and you're working with uh, some people, this will help you stay clean, and it has been proven at least uh, written about in peer-reviewed scholarly articles uh, at Pepperdine. So that's a really good point. The one thing that you said that stuck out to me there uh, that I want to touch on a little bit is that step work maybe isn't that important uh, for the connection piece. And I disagree with that because when I got here, I was such a piece of shit that I had no chance of making a connection with anybody. And the way that I changed that, well, I don't want to say no chance, but there weren't a lot of people that were that were like real willing to be around me. Um, and, you know, the way that I changed that is by working on myself and the way that I'm able to work on myself is by working through the steps. See, that's funny because you were talking about the cat at the AA meeting that no one wanted to talk to. And that guy is you and that guy is me. I mean, when I got to NA, I was a savage animal. I was not a pleasant person to be around. I looked bad. I smelled bad. I talked bad. I, I had spent so much time isolated by myself in a bathroom, hardly communicating with any other people, that when I was in a social situation like a meeting, uh, I didn't act right. The thing was, is the people in the meetings 
understood because they had been me. They understood me. My friend Josh at the meeting talks about uh, he was an alien when he arrived. And another old friend, Jeff, uh, talked about being an animal when he arrived. And even though could accept you the way that you were, they did. And, and it's the thing that saved your life, and it's the thing that saved my life. Uh, it was so bad, man. I had about 60 days clean. There were a couple of things that happened. And oddly enough, they were around baseball. I'm a baseball fan. Uh, but I had less than 60 days clean. I probably had 30 days clean. I was invited by this couple at the meeting to go to a California Angels game, which is in Orange County. Like I said, it could be a two-hour drive. And They haven't been they, to California Angels in a very long time, JR. Okay. <laughs> they put me in their uh, their car uh, with some other people, including their, their granddaughter, who was like six years old. And I remember just because I had such a low opinion of myself, I couldn't believe that they would allow me around this kid or, or be stuck in a car with me for hours or go someplace in public with me because I still bad person. Um, the secret to the program is love. Murray taught us that the secret is love. And these people loved me until I could love myself. I remember at 60 days clean, I was going to another baseball game. I was going to the Dodger game with Bob, with my sponsor. I went over to Bob's house, and uh, I made a really, really bad off-collar joke in front of his wife. And uh, it, it's just an example of what a piece of shit I was at the time. I, I said to Bob, I said, hey, tonight is fiesta night at Dodger Stadium. And he said, well, what does that mean? And I said, I think it means that we can drink whiskey and get bitches. And he stopped, and his wife stopped, and they both turned and looked at me like, what the hell is wrong with you? I think and you I, made a mistake, JR. I think at Fiesta Night, you drink tequila and get bitches. Oh, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bob's wife wasn't about us getting bitches under any circumstance. She didn't care what night it was, and we weren't really going out to get bitches. I just thought it was pretty funny, and it wasn't actually funny. It was super inappropriate. And nowadays, I wouldn't make that kind of off-color comment, uh, probably in any circumstance. Um, but I did then. And it was just, it just goes to reinforce, you know, when we arrived, man, these were the kind of people we were, and this is what we thought of ourselves. And, uh, and step work changed that. No doubt, step work changed that. But here's the important piece. Whether we had done step work or not, and at that point, we had not, people loved us anyways. People accepted us and wanted to be around us even when we were assholes. Well, that's true. I do still think that step work improved the quality of my relationships or, or gave me the tools to improve the quality of my relationships. I, I think a lot of the, you know, those people did love me, but I think a lot of those relationships were pretty superficial and based on the fact that solely on the fact that we were both addicts, which is great for a newcomer. But, I, you know, I do appreciate like the deeper relationships that I have today, like the relationship that we have. Sure, and and definitely uh, the strength of our relationship was built on bonds that we created through doing step work together, and 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 we'll do an entire episode on steps in the future for sure. Um, I'm just I honestly believe that the four point plan will keep you clean. The steps will change your opinion of you, right? And when you do the steps, 
they change the way you see yourself. You stop seeing yourself as a piece of shit and you start seeing yourself as a valuable human being. And then uh, you increase your self-esteem and in order to increase your self-esteem and to maintain an increased self-esteem, you do esteemable acts. And the more esteemable acts you do, the better you feel about yourself. So yes, all of that is born in step work. Absolutely. The quality of your recovery will increase with step work. Absolutely. I just think you could stay clean without it. <laughs> like I said, no, we'll I, talk I about do agree. I, I agree. You can stay. Oh, sorry. No, no. I keep interrupting you. <laughs> you can stay. You can stay clean, man. Uh, yeah, you, you definitely can. You can stay clean without step work. Um, I don't remember how we got on this. You were talking about sponsoring people, which we, we should probably talk about. So now I have some bad news. At 11 years clean and 10 years of working in treatment and being a sponsor like I am, I have stopped sponsoring people. And it's a decision I've made, and it's one that I struggle with, honestly. But here's the reason why. I was sponsoring a cat for about six years. Uh, when I met, he was nearly dead, uh, he got into treatment, he started coming back to life. It was really incredible to watch him grow and watch him uh, get the light back in his eyes. And then one day we did step four together, step five, actually he read his step four to me and it was awesome. He really showed a lot of growth. And that night to celebrate doing step five, he went and drank beer. Within one month, he was shooting heroin again. And not long after that, uh, I, he stopped calling and, and I didn't know how to reach him. And then one day his girlfriend called me and told me that he was in a coma uh, in San Bernardino, which is far away from us. And uh, he was in a convalescent home and they were hopeful that he would come out of the coma eventually. And when he did, um, he was brain damaged. He couldn't, he couldn't uh, read or write. He, could, he lost uh, color. He couldn't see. He was colorblind. Uh, when he came out of the coma. Lots of weird things uh, happened for this kid. And um, and I reached out to him. I'm like, hey, man, let's uh, let's get together. Let's go to some meetings. You know, let, let me help you. And he was like, oh, no way, man. I, I'm good. I'm never going to do heroin again. I'm, I, uh, I learned my lesson. And I couldn't convince him. And I was like, all right, pal, whatever you want. If you need me, call me. I'll always be here for you. And I continue to pray for that guy by name. And then... Several years later, I was at a concert. My phone rings, and I answer it in the middle of a concert, and it's him. And he's like, hey, man, I need your help. I'm doing heroin again. I said, that's impossible. You told me you learned your lesson, and you'll never do heroin again. He said, yeah, I know. I said that, but I said, buddy, and at the time, I was working at a treatment center. I said, okay, uh, call me in the morning, and I'll do everything I can to get you into the treatment center. So I got him into the treatment center, and... I couldn't help but to, to check on him and talk to him and to continue to try to help him. And he started doing well for a while and he got out of treatment. He stayed clean for a little while. And then he started fucking up again and started shooting heroin again. And then he was calling me again and he was calling me. And at this point, 
the reason for the phone calls wasn't because he was calling a sponsor. At this point, the reason for his phone calls was for me to help him get into treatment again. And it was at that point I understood what had been taught to me from the first day of uh, drug counseling school, which is you can't sponsor people when you work in treatment. And the reason is, is because eventually this kind of scenario will you love somebody, you want to help save their life. Uh, maybe the way to save their life is to get them into treatment. And um, it becomes a, uh, a dual relationship. That's what we call it. It becomes a dual relationship and it's not good for, for him. It's not good for me. It's not good for the facilities I work for. And it was during that experience and seeing how it got all twisted that I had to make that decision to, to stop sponsoring people. Um, I'm always trying to negotiate a way around this and figure out a way where I could still help people. Obviously, as a profession, I help people, but uh, sponsoring guides just is not one of the tools that I use today. Uh, in the future, I think I will sponsor people again. Uh, I guess it will always really depend on uh, if it's going to um, conflict with anything I'm doing professionally. Kevin sponsored that guy for a minute, too. When I told him I can't sponsor you anymore, he called Kevin. Oh, kind of. Yeah. I, I was I was a fill-in while he was in your treatment center. That way you weren't sponsoring him and his counselor or a counselor at the treatment center he worked at. That, that was just kind of so he stuck around, I think, more than anything. Listen, pray for that guy because I don't know where he is right now. And uh, and with I, I actually had uh, four sponsees, okay? And... Um, Kevin asked me to sponsor him because he saw faith in me and he saw a cool tattoo on me. Uh, I always felt like guys asked me to sponsor them because um, because they were the worst of the worst and they heard my story and they thought, you know, the only way I'll survive is to get someone like Jr. as my sponsor. So uh, my four sponsees, uh, Kevin is the only one that worked all 12 steps with me and uh, he has a life beyond his wildest dreams. He works the four-point plan with what are you eight are you eight years yeah. yes no six yeah. six okay with six years clean he uh he still uh he still does a lot of the four-point plan pretty much all of it and um the other guys uh the one guy i just told you about is out there using right now i pray for him still by name i got another one who uh, is in either a mental hospital or a church uh, in the Midwest, and he's not supporting himself, and he's not attending meetings, and things are not going well for him. And then the other, uh, the other sponsee is uh, my friend Brandon, who passed away of a heroin overdose. So um, that was the worst day of my entire recovery. Uh, the most heartbreaking thing that could ever happen to a sponsor is for a sponsee to die, and the only way I made that made it through that without using drugs was by going to meetings every day and talking about the feelings I had, the guilt that I felt and, and talking to other members of the program who told me that they loved me and they understood and it happened to them. And, uh, and I was able to get through it without picking up. Um, but God, I love that kid, Brandon. He uh, was a good dude. So um, the highs and lows of sponsorship, right? There's, there's the good and the bad. Um, but it's essential, man. You can't teach yourself to stop doing drugs. 
you can't figure out a way on your own. I always considered myself very, very intelligent. And I even attended meetings and thought, hey, man, I'm going to figure out a way to, to get clean and stay clean on my own. And I couldn't do it, man. I needed Bob. I needed someone that had been there before, who had gone to meetings, who had done the steps, who had had a sponsor of his own. I needed someone to teach me how you can't fix a broken brain with a broken brain. And at that time, I had a broken brain. And today, my brain is far more mended and healthy. And it is due to the fact that a guy named Bob loved me and taught me how to love myself and uh, taught me how to get clean and stay clean. This is how it works, people. You can't do this thing alone. Bob often says, you can't be too dumb to get recovery, but you can be too smart. So some of y'all need to dummy up and go get a sponsor. I got a patient right now. He does three of the four steps. He does uh, 90 and 90. He has a home group and he has a commitment, but he does not have a sponsor. And I like to uh, compare it to that line from something about Mary where uh, Ben Stiller picks up a hitchhiker. And the hitchhiker says, hey, man, have you ever heard of that video called 8-Minute Apps? And Ben Stiller says, yes. He says, well, I got a million-dollar idea. I'm going to do 7-Minute Apps. Ben Stiller thinks about, well, what if someone comes up with six-minute apps? And then the hitchhiker says, no, not six-minute apps, seven-minute apps. And so I keep telling my buddy, uh, my patient, I keep telling him, no, it's not a three-point plan. It's a four-point plan. You got to get a sponsor. Now, how many people actually get that reference? You do. <laughs> I walk, so uh, my uh, my girlfriend and I are taking uh, these dance classes, and actually we're going to switch to a different studio, but the first time I walked in, uh, they asked me, you know, why are you here? And I was like, I don't want to be a lawyer, man. I want to dance. And nice. nobody got it. I nobody it. got it. <laughs> I get it. Adam Goldberg, baby. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. All right, all right. I love it. Hey, so uh, we're drawing to an end of this week's uh, four-point plan. This week was all about sponsorship. That means next week is going to be all about your home group. you got to love a home group because if you don't have a home group, you're homeless. If you don't have the four-point plan, you're probably going to relapse and die, and we don't want you to die. I, I don't know if there's a better way to end than that. We don't want you to die. We love you, people. Keep coming back to the four-point plan. We'll be back in one week. And thank you.